Hey everyone, and welcome to the Adventure Deficit Show, where we're always on the lookout for new stories and the life lessons they might hold. Join me, your host, Drew DeVries, as we embark on today's journey to combat the deficit. Today we've got a special guest who uh, who's going to share an adventure story with us. Jeff Troutman, host and founder of the Remote No Pressure podcast, is going to share with us a little bit about uh, his early life, a specific adventure, and then some life lessons that he took from that adventure. Jeff, how you doing today? I'm doing amazing. Thank you very much, Drew. Appreciate you carving out some time. Let's uh, let's get started on your early story. What um, what are the details that helped shape you into the, the person that you are today? Where'd you, uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Houston, Texas, um, all, around, all around Texas, actually. My father, um, well, I was born in Sweeney, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston, kind of the hub of all the refineries. And um, you know, I was really young. My father decided he wanted to uh, go into ministry, become a pastor, and so that's what he did. So he moved. I don't um, remember it because I was like two, but we moved to a small town in a very, very deep woods, East Texas. And the church he decided to go to was probably about the size of a storage shed. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and he grew that. And we lived there in, uh, near, t- you know, for all the fly fishing people that are listening, Toledo Bend. Uh, that's a famous lake there. Um, not too far from there, right on the Texas-Louisiana border. Until um, until 1989, which uh, I was nine years old when we moved. So um, yeah, so that's that's kind of what happened. My, my parents split, which isn't a good thing when you're in ministry in 1989. Mm. Um, my mom decided to just take a different different way in life, and um, so that was really hard hard for my dad. So we moved back uh, to the refineries down in Houston, um, that area, where he could get a job because you know if you have Ministry experience, that's great. But if you're divorced, I mean, there's not really a job for you, especially in 1989. You know, so it's kind of a tough thing for my dad. You know, I recently um, found some pictures from, because I don't remember much. Uh, I was in a really, really bad car accident in, uh, when I was 11, hit by a drunk driver. What? Yeah, really bad. So when I walked in your house here, Drew, you may have saw me walk with a limp. I, um, I was in a horrible car accident. When I was 11 years old, and it's really hard for me to remember. I I, I uh, had a very uh, tra- traumatic brain injury, and in 1991, um, TBI wasn't something that um, it wasn't something that they know as much about as they do now. Right. I mean, I had to sign a waiver for my kid to play soccer in case he gets a concussion. You know. Yeah. Right. Times so, have changed. Times have changed. So, bef- but when I I recently, uh, my stepmom, God rest you know, I, I really appreciate her. She saved a bunch of these pictures of my mom and dad. Um, so I really appreciate her doing that. So she recently gave me these these pictures, and I saw my dad before the divorce. Uh, and he was very happy. He was a very happy person. Hmm. And you can tell he was in his vein. He was doing, you know, what he felt he needed to do in life. And then... Um, to have the rug pulled out from him 
uh, was really hard. So going through the teenage years, going through the accident, my dad was nice and was always there, but um, he was busy working, you know. Yeah. So you grew up in in the far east side of Texas near the Louisiana border for the most mm-hmm. part up until age nine, is that until right? Until nine. Then okay. I was back to Houston. Okay. And yeah. while you were in Houston, dad goes back to the refineries mm-hmm. and uh, you're involved in in a life-threatening car accident by which you were struck by a drunk driver. Yeah, I, I, w- I wasn't struck. He hit his head on, you know, so he hit our car head on. Okay, so um, the family was in the car. The family's in the car. I, I went to visit my mom on a flute, my, my real mom. Um, mm-hmm. She was still living in, in deep, deep. I, I mean, you can't even get to this place on Google Maps. It's that <laughs> deep, all right? So it's that deep in the woods, in, in, in the piney woods of East Texas. And um, I went to visit her one weekend. I'd go visit her once every three, four months. And, um, and we were driving home and, and her boyfriend at the time, her husband, I can't remember if it was a boyfriend or husband, um, was driving mm-hmm. and we went to pick her up. She, she was a waitress. Um, <laughs> it's just weird to think about cause I don't talk about it that much. Right. Yeah. Um, we're driving home, uh, highway 1277 between St. Augustine and Broadus, Texas. A uh, drunk driver came and hit his head on. My family, they were my 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 mom, my my brother, um, and her and my mom's boyfriend. They were okay, um, but I I broke my hip. I completely destroyed my hip. Uh, my pelvis was broken in a couple places. Uh, I broke a I broke a couple ribs. Broke my arm, um, and I don't remember anything. My word. Yeah. So that was an interesting time. For sure. You know, when those are those are big big years vital to growing up, right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how what did that look like for a, for a 12-year-old boy in school? I mean, were you in a wheelchair for a long time? Were you were you, you know, confined to uh to hospital service for for a significant amount of time? What tell me tell me kind of some of the details after. Yeah, that's that's a great question, Drew. I uh, appreciate you asking that. Um cuz it's just weird. I I don't think I've ever other than my wife, I don't think I've really told the story, you know. But I, I, I played baseball. That was my thing, you know, be, before uh, the accident. All I did was play baseball, you know. And after the accident, I'm like, well, what am I going to do now, you know? Yeah. Um, so I spent middle school um, in a wheelchair, uh, on a walker, on crutches the entire middle school. Um, there were times when I had um, a fused hip. So I was in and out surgeries all the time trying to fix things. Sure. Um, and so I'm, I'm confined to my, to my bedroom and, um, you know, because divorce, you know, we weren't in poverty or anything like that, but we were, we were, uh, my room was small, you know, (laughs) there, you know, my dad worked really hard for the things that we had and I appreciate it, but, um, we were probably lower middle, middle class, you know, and, uh, and my dad had an old guitar in, in his closet and what, what else am I going to do? I have all this time on my hands, um, and so I picked up the guitar and I and I started playing, and I found this passion, you know, like wow, this is really cool. Like, and it's funny because I thought if my dad and my and my mom plays piano, my real mom, you know, and I thought if they can play an instrument, I can play the instrument. You know? right. And to be honest with you, Drew, I've always had a very positive outlook on life. You know, um, even at that age, it yeah. was like you know, in a lot of pain, but I never I never felt sorry for myself. Um, 
You know, life, I mean, I can't say I, I never felt sorry for myself, but it wasn't like um, a lifestyle of mine. Right. I, I'm, I'm excited. I was alive. I'm excited to be here. Life of the party kind of kid, you know. Um, I think if it would have happened to one of my siblings, it, it may have been a different story. Different personalities, you know. Sure. So, um, so I, I could say, you know, how rough middle school was. And, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot for a kid to go through. But to be honest with you, I, I wasn't in my room crying every night, you know, being pissed off at God or pissed off at the guy that hit me, you know. Yeah. And on some level, I mean, it was your it was your growing up story to live. It's not you didn't have another another context by which to to compare it necessarily, except for your friends who were running around, right? But that was your plight. I think my my heart always kind of softens for the kid who had a rough go at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like it would be a hell of a rough go to be in a wheelchair during during seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, because it's hard enough as it is. Oh, it is. It is you very know? hard. You know. Yeah. Very, very, you know, that's a hard time, even if you're not beat up. You know? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> what a miserable like, time. It's, it's, rough, it's rough if you're the star of the show. Like, yeah. you're, it's just an awkward time in life. So, um, well, cool, man. I'm, uh, I'm stoked to hear that you picked up a guitar, and uh, it sounds like there was almost, uh, there, there was some light at the end of your tunnel based on that guitar. Baseball was gone. Music entered in. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, um, I started playing music quite a bit, uh, started playing in my church and, um, well, my father was a pastor, like I had mentioned, um, both my grandfathers were pastors. It's kind of, was kind of the family business. Okay. And so I thought, well, what the heck? I'll just be a worship leader. It's kind of like a pastor, but you get to play your guitar. It's fun. And then, um, I got involved and I went to college for that. And um, got involved in a really large church, a mega church. And I just re- quickly realized I don't want to see how the sausage is made. You know, <laughs> I just wasn't my gig, you know. So I went back to school and got my, uh, got my, my degree in business. Um, and uh, ha- haven't really looked back too much, you know. Cool. So it was, I mean, it, it played a big role in getting you kind of through your teenage years, I got to imagine, right? Yeah, there's good supportive community, good group of people, kept me out of trouble. Yep. Um, but yet I still had this passion for music, you know. Mm. I've, I've always been a writer, um, a songwriter. I've always um, – but I never really knew what to do with it, you know. Um, so I, I released an album this past uh, September uh, called Songs About Fly Fishing – yeah, I've heard a couple of them. And in your in your intro, forgive me, um, for those who are listening and missed this because I didn't include it, Jeff's also uh, a fairly accomplished musician and recently released one that uh, he highlighted a few tracks from um, at the Orvis, was it, was it Orvis Grand Opening or something along those lines last weekend? Yeah, we had a uh, Get Outdoors event with Orvis yeah. uh, here on Bretton and Burton. Yep. We had a great turnout, and I uh, played some tunes from my album and got to know some new people. And that was really our first live event from our podcast, too, so it was fun to meet some of our listeners, and cool. it was a great time. Cool, yeah. So I, I forgive me, like I said, but uh, I tuned in as soon as I saw that uh, he was live at Bretton and & Burton. I checked out some of his stuff, and he's got some really good jams. It's, uh, it's real mellow, and uh, it's the type of stuff that you'd want to listen to 
bouncing down a gravel road on the way to the river for sure. <laughs> um, but give it a shot, Jeff. What is do you? Is it self-titled stuff? Is it all Jeff Troutman or yeah, yeah? So I- anywhere you stream music, iTunes, um, Amazon, um, anywhere that you stream music, just type in Jeff Troutman, T R O U T M A N. Um, go to jefftroutmanmusic.com. You know, we have we have music there, and uh, we'll have some dates here. We got some dates coming up and some uh, scheduling, so we're going to be doing some – we're going to be doing a lot more with our podcast and also with the music as well. So cool. stay tuned to that. But I appreciate the plug. Thank you very much. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was impressed. Um, so anyways, circling back to, you know, getting you through kind of another integral phase in, in life, which was high school – it sounds like you leaned in on the musical side and you were able to uh, to at least put a checkbox next to something that you didn't want to do with your life after yeah. uh, after having to go at worship leading, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny because, and this is part of the reason I, I don't talk about my religious upbringing or my religious beliefs, um, because I was always taught uh, in this weird way that if you don't use your your talent for God, that he'll take them away, you know. Or if you don't dedicate your life to this thing, then you're really second-class citizen. Do you know what I mean? I do. I think, I mean, I think it's probably parallel with um, with a lot of the stigmas that, that kind of s- fall central to some of the evangelical uh, lifestyle. Um, I think there are, there are a handful of folks who kind of go us versus them. And if the evangelicals are on the them, um, oftentimes they're, they're kind of painted as radical or, or folks who, um, they've got their blinders on, they're teaching their kids, you know, Hey, if you, if you do that too many times, God's going to take it away or, yeah, you know, (laughs) you know what I I mean? I do. You know, you go to, you go to camp as a kid and, and I remember the, the pastor, he'd say, you know. I can't believe I'm talking about this. He would say, he's like, he's like, he's like, all right, how many of you people gave your life to the Lord? You know, and you'd see these kids. And I I, I grew up in a very like um, a very uh, fear based denomination where you could lose your salvation. Hmm. And uh, going through puberty, I'd lose my salvation every 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And you're you're blind, right? And you're blind. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, so the <laughs> so the pastor, the evangelist would come up on the stage and he would say, "All right, hallelujah." He'd say, "How many of you have given your life to the Lord?" You know, and everybody, you know, just kind of, you know, oh, oh, we have two hundred people, how, you know, and how many of you feel called to the full time ministry? You know, mm-hmm. and you have a hundred people, and goes, and by the way, there's a, a table out back for the the Bible college that you should sign up for to go with the full time ministry. You know. And, Nice little shtick. But then there's some guy in the back's like, I just want to be a plumber, you know, <laughs> or right. I want to be an accountant and right. and I, I want to be I want to write music. But no, you know, if it's not for this, then it's not it's it's second. It's not as good. Hmm. It's not really so you know, creating this album was more than just um was it was a lot more than just songs about fly fishing. It was something I had to do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, was, it was like, you. yeah, you can't, you can't help it. Yeah. You know, so. For sure. Anyways. Yeah. So tell us, what was the name of the college that you went to? Christ for the Nations Institute is where I went to, to college. Okay. Uh, and then I finished my degree in business at uh, Cornerstone University here in, in Grand Rapids. Yeah, cool. All right. So that's how 
that was the draw from Houston to West Michigan. Actually, I, I took a job at a church here in West Michigan at the mega church um, here, and then met my wife, and then decided that's not what I wanted to do. Okay. So I ended up going to college, back to school. Um, so I've always been in some kind of corporate finance. After that, I worked for some really large um, brokerage firms. Um, very stressful life. Every day was very stressful. After my second son was born, um, I was I was extremely stressed. Uh, I I was having some um, some mental issues, you know, and I thought I was going crazy. I, I really thought, um, you know, considering my mom, she, you know, back the backstory, she kind of went, went a little. She changed her, her way of life, about the age I was at at the time. Okay, so you know? when you when you circling back to when you said your mom changed her way of life, you're pointing towards some potential mental illness or some potential potential mental shift that took place during that time. Is that what you're? Absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah. Now fast forward, you're going. I'm this age. Mm. I've got two boys. My mom had two boys. Mm. You know, very similar. And a lot of that stuff is hereditary. Yeah. You right. know, so I'm thinking I'm great. I'm I'm going nuts. You know, I had a second baby. Uh, you want to get into any of that? Was it depression based? Was it was it uh, in inconsistent traits with your? Were, were you manic? Were you up and down? Was it was it more or less? What it was emotional or. What it was, um, I was, um, we had a new baby at home. So it was my second, my second, or my wife and I's second child. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't sleeping. Right. At all. Um, our firm had switched over our commission from our, our commissions. So just trying to stay alive that way. So you're in survival mode. I mean, like treading water, you know, trying not to. Trying at not work to, and at home. At work. Come home, my wife's exhausted. You know, she uh, she nursed the full year of our baby, so she's trapped to the kid basically for a year. No sleep, caffeine all the time. You know, I don't know if I'm gonna make this deal or not. I don't know what's gonna happen. And um, no, I I think I see where you're going. This yeah. isn't necessarily so much chemical imbalance. No. This is just you you throttled. Just you a redlined. Just life. You redlined. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you talked a little bit about empathy earlier. You got to go through some things to have empathy. You know, and that was that was going through some things. So my uh, my job or my firm that I was working for offered uh, like three um, three free sessions with a local psychologist. Yep. So. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna like make sure that I'm not good for you, know, you there. Dude. That's, Yeah, that's a huge step in a, especially in a in a society driven by uh, uh, by independence. You know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, make it work. Mm-hmm. You know, fight through it. Come mm-hmm. on, buddy, you got this type. And it's like, man, in that type of culture, to say maybe I, maybe I don't have it all together, and I, I want to just make sure that everything's here. Yeah, that's that's huge, dude. So, props for props for being in tune with uh, with where you're at well enough to actually take that step. You know. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of people maybe listening that may be going through the same thing. Yep. You know, I just want to encourage them to to just reach out. Like being a guy too. Um, you know, it, it it's different. You know, it's a little harder. 
maybe to say I need help, but I'm telling you, like, get help. So and I didn't mean to cut you off. So you had you you said yes to one of one of those sessions. Yeah, and so I and and there were a few things growing up in a um, religious household that I don't think was very healthy. Um, I did not want any kind of Christian counseling. I wanted like a shrink, like a person who's gonna just tell me like it is, and ended up uh, in the shrink in the psychologist office. Um, and she was great. She did a great job. And and I went there for. I probably went there for six months. You know, you go, you know, it sounds like a drug act. Your first is three. You know, your first three is free. After, you know, but anyway, so we, we invested the money and, you know, just walking through this time was a real hard time. And she said, Jeff, you know, there's nothing, I don't believe, you know, there don't, I don't believe there's anything really wrong with you as much as you're just, number one, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing in life. Um, and she didn't say that just coming out and saying it. But, you know, the way she was talking, it's like you're just not you're not happy with what you're doing, working in finance. And you need a hobby. You need you need to be you need to take up a hobby. So I go home and I tell my wife, look, I, I you know, I don't need pills or anything, but I need a hobby. So every Tuesday night I found these old men that um fly fishing there. They have a fly fishing um group and I think it would be good for me to to do that every Tuesday night. And actually, you don't live too far from Lowell here. No. Right? And so it was on Lowell, in Lowell on the Flat River. Flat. Yeah. You know, going for, for small lease, for smallmouth bass. I, I won some fly fishing outfit uh, from, from uh, Bass Pro uh, in a sales contest at work. It was a real piece of crap. I didn't know anything. I'm just like, whatever. Starter kit or something. Yeah. You know, it's a combo. It's like, sure. you know, whatever. Got a fly that looks like, you know, an ant and that, you know, a spider. That's all right, man. That's how a lot of people get started, and it's great. It works great for that. Oh, yeah. And you know what was so great is I go out to these these guys, and these guys are all retired, you know, and I'm this young, just like. They're all into the good gear. Uh, yeah, they're yeah, on the yeah. good gear, but they're also just like awesome people to be around. Yeah. Because they have. Type. Yeah, they have empathy. Yeah. You know, they, they're on that other side of it. Yeah. And, um, and, and they taught me how to, you know, like mend my line, taught me how to to cast, tossed me how to catch fish. And, uh, and every Tuesday night for that whole summer, I would go fishing with these old timers. And uh, it was my medication. Like things began to change. And one day I'm sitting in my desk and I'm like, there's only two things I want to do, right? And I feel like hell. I'm just like stressed out. There's, I'm like, why am I here? You know, you look around and you see this like world going by you, you know? Like you, this world is just going by, 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 by. And you're like this, you're here and you're just like, what am I doing? Like, why? How did I get here? You know? And so I'm like, there's only two things I want to do, Drew. I want to play my guitar and I want to go fly fishing. So I said, why not? Why don't I just write songs about fly fishing? So um, I left the finance industry and I went and started flipping heavy equipment and um, with with my buddy and um, – and I've been building this thing. Um, it's been an adventure, you know, and it's growing very quickly. Yeah, that's, um, that's great, man. Yeah, and it's consistent. And the uh, and the music, you know, writing songs about fly fishing, you know, we get a lot of downloads every month. We get people that are just tuning in saying, Jeff, I can relate to that, you know. Um, I can relate to those songs. And it's been great. I mean, it's been it's been an adventure. And... My wife's been supportive. My family's very supportive, but it's uh, it's a lot of work. And I really, 
did the music and then did the podcast, thinking, you know, well, this podcast is cool, but I can, you know, help market my music through the podcast by building this distribution channel, right? Yeah, very business-centered business, uh, approach, but yeah, yeah. sure. In, um, in the podcast, I probably, I know I spend a lot more time on the podcast than I do my music, and the people I've met, um, like this past, this past week, uh, we talked to a guy by the name of Jess Westbrook with the Mayfly Project who takes foster kids out and helps them learn how to fly fish. Dude, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. And he, he tells stories about these kids and how they suffer from PTSD in the foster system. Yeah. You know, um, they suffer a lot and they have no one to take them under their wings. And when they're turned 18, um, they age out of the system and they're on their own, you know, and the likelihood of them becoming criminals is very, is very really high. high. Yeah. You know, so or he's just being on the street. Yeah. What are you going to do? You're 18 kid. You're on your own. I mean, what, you know, y- y- you can't go bag groceries and provide for yourself. Yeah. My and, wife and I were exposed to that last summer. We were on a family run, we met a girl on a bench and got to got to hear her story and it was like it almost sounded um like some sort of falsified cry for help but we we found out that it was absolutely true and it was exactly what you had just talked about she was 18 she had been removed from the, the foster care program and um we kind of we kind of met her at that intersect in life and she was literally just laying down on a bench um wow so we just kind of i mean you don't have a whole lot of control in that situation, but you can offer support as much as you can, right? So we got right. to hear this this gal's story, and um, I'll leave her name out, but um, I very much remember her name, and, and her story very much left an imprint on, on my wife and I. Um, and we were able to help her out for the night. Um, we ended up taking her to one of the um, missions here in town, um, mm. and that was her preference. That was where she decided she wanted to be taken. So... Mm. Um, but wow, it opened up our eyes as to what what those kids go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I mean, it didn't sound like she had a terrible foster foster family. It was just more or less like the system is broken right at eighteen because it it cuts them off. What are they gonna do? What are they gonna do? Right. So it kind of opened up our eyes to it. But to hear that there's a there's a organization out there called the Mayfly Agency? Yeah, the, the Mayfly or, Project. I've never never been exposed to no. it, but you better believe I'm going to check it out. That's awesome. It's amazing. Mayfly Project. So we, we you know, so, uh, one of our, whenever someone follows my, our, our Instagram, I always DM them, direct message them. It's not a computer. And I say thank you so much. Is there If there's anyone that you know of that we should interview or talk to, you let me know. It's a personal, I mean, I, you know, and, um, yeah, that's smart. Yeah, it's great, and and because I just really do, I'm 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 really grateful that they decided to do that. You I, truly, care. truly, I'm truly thankful. And uh, this lady said, "Well, you should you should talk to Jess Westbrook here with the Mayfly Project." And um and I called him. I couldn't believe it. You know, um, it's just amazing what they're doing with, with foster kids. And then um there's um there was uh, one called Casting for Recovery, which helps women. Uh, who are recovering from breast cancer, learn how to fly fish and cope with that um, through fly fishing. What's the one uh, Wounded Warriors does Does one? It's like Project Healing Waters. Project Healing Waters. Yeah, that's what I was going to talk about. Yeah, for Pro- veterans. Yeah, so Project Healing Waters. We have the Mayfly Project. We have Casting for Recovery. And all of these things are making a tremendous impact on people and 
my although my platform is not massive, I have a platform that I can I can help them bring awareness to what they're doing. Cool. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um and and I play music. Yep. You know? So doing what I feel God has created me uniquely to be, who would have had remote no pressure had I not been faithful to who Jeff is inside? You know what I mean? For sure. Who who would have you know, and 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 it's not that I'm, I'm trying to put myself on a pedestal. It's just like, wow, for so many years, I thought this is the only way that I could be used by God was in a local church or playing music for, and then it was like, wait a minute, this is not what I feel I should do. It's not my passion. It's not my heart. I, I would lead worship at church and I would go home and take a two, three hour nap. I would just be exhausted because it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing in life. I worked in finance, and it wasn't supposed to be what I was doing. But that's what everyone what, tells you to do. What were you doing when you transitioned from pastor to or worship leader to finance? Why did you go that route? Well, what happened was it was in 2004, 2005, something like that. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do because my, my degree was in uh, theology. So I said, I'll find a job. And my wife and I were about to get married. We were engaged. Okay, know. so you didn't have kids at this point. No, no kids at this point. My wife and I were engaged. I got to get married without a job. You have to, you know, take care, of, take care of your stuff, you know, take care of business. So I was just like, I, I went and put an application in at um, a couple places. No one called me back. And so I went to like this temp agency. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, when I was in Dallas, I worked for Fidelity Investments, which is a big brokerage firm. And I, I did – I would go to school till noon, and from 2 to 11, I would work in the call center where people call in, enroll in their 401Ks and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's how I paid. They had tuition reimbursement and all that. So that's how I got through school was by working. Okay, so you had a little bit of experience. A little bit of experience in finance. And I like it. I still I still love the Wall Street Journal. I love business. I love finance. I don't want to work in it. You okay. Know? So um, – I applied for a temp job, and they're like, well, there's this place, you know, called Mort- – you know, they sell mortgages, you know, if you're interested. And I was like, okay. So I go there, and it's with a, a big bank, and they just call people who have like a 7% interest rate. We'll refinance them to like five and a quarter, and they're like, wow. And I'm like, this is all I got to do is just sit here and make phone calls and like tell people like I can save you $300 a month. This is, you know – not rocket science. Right. And so uh, I did that, and then I went to Cornerstone at night and um, moved up in the, the mortgage business. And then in 2007, that bank was bought out um, because of, you know, the crap hit the fan kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So then I went and did financial planning. Okay. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, that helps us just kind of formulate a, a bit of uh, context for, for who you are and, and a little bit about your upbringing. Um, it certainly doesn't mean that we've got the full picture, but it always just kind of helps in the uh, the mind's eye of our listeners to just to kind of introduce uh, our, our guests that way. So I appreciate you sharing some of that. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's kind of transition into the Jeff Troutman uh, adventure story that you're going to share. Hey, folks, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we want to do our part in recognizing some of the struggles and stigmas which accompany mental illness. And rather than shy away from this, include it in some of our dialogue this month. As always, it's our goal to entertain, educate, and inspire you to get out there and take your own medicine. Thanks again, and enjoy the rest of the show.
art, you know. So we, uh, my buddy Phil and I, um, we we and my other uh, other buddy John, who met up with us really late at night. Okay. Uh, so so Phil and I go. These are all the perfect ingredients to uh, to a proper adventure, by the way. Absolutely. You you can't have enough food. You know you you got to kind of be low on gas. You know there's like a lot of shenanigans and riffraff that have to be involved. Some of my guests may take issue with that, but I like where we're going. <laughs> Well, that's why I bring the accountant with me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so we're, we go out into the woods, and, and we're like, is this the right place? And my buddy Phil's like, yeah, you have to turn off the road here. So we, we turn off the road. We're up in the Manistee National Forest up on the Pine River. Okay. Um, and we, we turn, and there's like this trailer house, right, in, right by the woods. I'm like, are you sure? Like, we're driving in their backyard. He's like, dude, you... This is where it says on the GPS, you know, it reminds me of that office episode. Remember when Dwight and Michael drive into the lake because the GPS <laughs> told them to? <laughs> that was us. You know, he's like, you got to go on the GPS. So we go on the GPS and we just kept driving, kept driving. And uh, I drive a Toyota Highlander, okay, because um, I love Toyotas. But it's really old one, you know, it's getting beat up. And then there's like a, a random tree across the uh across the things we got to like get out and, and get, mind you we're, we're in an office every day to day so we just think we're like corporate you know ba you know badasses you know out here <laughs> like you know we're like yeah we're cool you know so we didn't have the right gear or anything we didn't know where we were going so we get out we're like go to this tree so we get up we get the tree we put it out of the way we go out we drive really deep in the woods and um we were like we should probably set up camp before it gets dark and so Again, I'm really glad Phil came with me because he came prepared, being the accountant, more prepared than I would be. Because I just go on adventure, you know. I, I just got to go. You go on impulse. I, absolutely. And that's why I'm friends with Phil. That's why we're friends. That's why there's a Phil for that's, you. That's why there's a Phil for me. So <laughs> he's got like this rain tarp and, it's, you know, we set up our, our hammocks, you know. And mind you, like, let, let me remind the listener that we are corporate guys, Okay. And I'm not a super active guy. I mean, I'm not extremely overweight or anything like that, but, I mean, I can afford to lose a few LBs. You've been in a chair for a while at this point. Yes, right? Gotcha. Not in real good shape. But you don't know that. It just kind of sneaks up on you, and when you need it, you know it. You know? 10-4. So, <laughs> so we end up um, setting up camp. It's not dark yet. We get our fly rods. Um, Phil's relatively was, was, at the time, relatively new at fly fishing. I wasn't like a master angler by any means, so it's kind of the blind leading the blind, and we, we like, okay, where's the river? It's just over the ledge, you know. It's like, all right, let's let's go. So we go over there, and the view is amazing. I mean, being in the Manistee National Forest, Drew, it's almost like you're in the Smoky Mountains or something. It's really just there's some amazing views up there. It really is pure Michigan, right? Hashtag pure Michigan. Right? So, so we're out there, and we're like. That is an amazing river, but it's like a, the descent is just insane, right? Like, I don't know. I don't even know if descent is the right word, so please correct me, Drew. But it's really like 90 degrees almost. It's, it's a legit, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a legitimate grade on the way to the bank. And you've got either a, a pinball route pre-marked or uh, <laughs> a path that's switched back on its, uh, on its own course all the way to the bottom, right? You say it so much better than me. <laughs> so, exactly, you it's know. It's either go straight and risk lit- literally ping-ponging off of tree trunks 
<laughs> ripping, yeah. ripping your waders. Yes. Right? And oh, yeah. It's like the, the slide into home, but there's like also this this short free fall and then a baptism of... <laughs> it's, it's just a terrible situation. Just terrible all around. There's nothing good I'll about you this. you tell the story. But, there's a, there, but there's, there's a beautiful river below. Yeah. You know, there's this... I mean, it looks like a storybook. You know, it, it's it's amazing. The view's amazing, yeah. and I got to get to the river. Have and it, to. It's 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 some kind of animal, I believe, had created this trail down to the river. Me being the uh, the experienced woodsman that I was, thought you know this is this is probably a trail. I mean, it should be okay. You know, someone went down there. So what if it was, you know, a coyote or whatever? You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. big deer. So I end up. Um, Going down this hill, almost, I mean, you just like every once in a while you kind of fall on your butt and slide down and just awful. And I'm like, okay, but no, I'm not thinking, Drew. I'm not thinking when I go down the hill, I've got to go back up the hill, you know? I don't think about it. I'm only seeing the water. So I get down there. You're the impulse guy. I'm the impulse guy. Let's just have a good time. Life so what, was, what was Phil saying? Phil was, Phil, Phil was in on this too. He's not, you know. <laughs> I could almost see Phil standing up by the car going, this is a bad idea. A ba- no, he wasn't. He fully embraced Good it. For him. He fully embraced it, right? So, right? so we go down there, and I get down to the very bottom, and I realized that uh, I don't have a leader, um, a tapered leader. So you've you got to go back to the truck. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I can't go back up. No. Right? So I bum one off Phil. And... and it, because he's got, he's got. Because a three he's pack. got an extra one. That's Phil, yeah. right? Yep. He wants to have fun. He hangs out with me, right? I want to have fun and be somewhat organized. I hang out with Phil. Sounds perfect. Yin and the yang, we're good friends. So, I bum, I bum an extra tip, some, some, uh, some leader off him. It's a taper leader, and I go to town. You know, we fish it. We catch no fish, and by the time we get down there, it's pretty dark because we went after work. You know, so um, we go down there and. We're fishing. We're fishing. It's getting pretty dark. Yep. And uh, it's time. We should probably head back before it gets too dark. Because you still got to, I mean, did you set up camp or? We set camp up before we went Smart. down. Smart. Okay. So you, know, I, you just got to, you got to navigate back in the dark and you're not, not yeah. stoked on being lost. No. And, and we got some headlamps and, you know, I, one of my big fears is to be stuck out there in the dark. You know, you don't want that. You know, even though I'm the life of the party and I'm an, I was at that time not a woodsman. Yeah. I knew to have a flashlight and to not be an idiot, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's some common sense. <laughs> sure. So we decided we're going to time to go up the hill. Phil is a little bit younger than me and he runs, he was running at the time. Um, he was in a little better shape than me. But, um, I decide, okay, let's, it's time to go back up the hill because my friend John was coming. John's a carpenter, and John was running really late, so he, we didn't know when he was going to be there. I sent him a pin drop, but we wanted to be there when he gets there, and, you know, no, let's go back. And so um, we start, we start uh, going back up the hill, and I quickly realized about four steps in that this is not going to be easy. Oh, my gosh. So we, we, <laughs> we, we end up calling it Cardiac Hill, you know, because I'm like – here I am, like 35 years old. I really think I'm going to die, like, in any second. And <laughs> so Ian Feller's sitting there, uh, you know, walking him. And he's doing okay. He's not super winded, you know. 
I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, so I'm sitting here, like, throwing my fly rod up the hill and, like, going up a little bit. And finally, I'm like, just go, Fel. Just go. (laughs) Tell my wife I love her. You know? (laughs) I'm done, you know? And it took me so long to get up this stupid hill. And we finally get up the hill. uh, And I'm just like, I'm almost dead. We head over to camp, and uh, we start a fire. And I'm just, like, super beat, you know? Super tired. Yeah, uh, and that... That is a different type of super tired because uh, just the work stuff being all of all of your work day, right, mm-hmm. can tire you out. But all of the excitement on day one of getting to the river wears off and you hit this low. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're literally you're running on nitrous when you're when you and. Who was it? Just you and Phil in the car waiting on John? No, it was me and Phil. Yeah, we got back to camp and we were waiting on John. Yeah, big, big John. John's like six foot five and bald. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to run into him in the middle of the night. No, but I'm just saying. I mean, when you uh, when you and Phil are leaving the office, you're high five. Oh yeah, you're on cloud eleven. I mean, we really think we're cool. Exactly. I mean, you see Instagram. These guys, we're doing that. You're gonna you go know? make some hero shots. <laughs> It's a new type of tired. You're like a kid who's played on the playground all day. Like you could fall asleep sitting up. Yeah, and to be honest with you, it's probably been since I was a kid since I felt that way. That's an awesome feeling. Oh, it's amazing. Okay, so it's you amazing. guys are tuckered out. We're tuckered out. Cardiac hill kicked your butt. Yeah, almost killed me. <laughs> you almost had an aortic. Whatever you call it. Or what? Some kind of heart issue. Right. So right. We're, we're sitting on the fire, me and Phil, because John's not there. Big John's not there yet. And we're, you know, we got uh, this this lackluster food because we thought we're cool. We'll just live on like we'll right. live off the land or something, you know. Yeah. And we we brought some things, you know. And his wife sent us, Shana, bless her heart. She sent us with some frozen broccoli soup. It tasted so good, but we had great whiskey. We had, to, you know, <laughs> but that. the food. Who needs that, you know? So right. anyway, so we're sitting around the fire, and we're um, we're eating some great food. By you know, everything tastes good at this point. But we're just so tired, and all of a sudden we see these these headlights coming down the trail. Here comes John. Here's Big John, and he comes out. Now he's not. He's to this day not really a, a woodsman. Okay, right. he still comes. We we still host these trips, and he comes every once in a while. And he's not exactly a woodsman, but he's the he's great to have camp, you know. So he gets out of the truck, and I can't remember if he had a hammock or not. I think he picked one up along the way, you know, on his way there. That kind of thing, you know? I don't need a flyer. I'll just grab one on my way up, you know? So he comes out, and he's got the absolute best cheddar brats, bratwurst (laughs) I've ever had. And we're all like, what are these? He's like, I pick them up at the convenience store. And we're like, let's cook them. The best brats I ever had. You can taste them now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're telling him the story about Cardiac Hill and... You know, we, we go to bed that night and it's raining. And because Phil brought a, a rain tarp to go over us, we were we were stacked. Okay. Okay. In our hammocks. But John didn't bring a thing. We can't go three deep on the tree. No. So John John says, let me just tie up next to you, Jeff. And I don't know if anyone out there has slept next to someone in a hammock. But it was like we were, we were really close. <laughs> <laughs> So he, we're in the Manistee National Forest. There's black bears. You know, there's people that are like, careful with the bears. You know, it's the springtime. They're coming out of hibernation. And so I'm already, because I'm, I'm not an outdoorsman. If I, get, if I see a bear, 
there's a good chance I'm the slowest runner because of my hip. I'm going to get mauled. I'm, I'm done. So in the back of my mind, there's like this thought. And here's John who's like, who drank some whiskey, ate a lot of food. He didn't go down cardiac hill with us, but he's asleep right next to my face in his hammock, snoring. And I'm dreaming that this bear is going to like, because he's like, <laughs> I think this bear is going to eat me, you know? So that was a crazy night. So First John's, night in the woods. John's six. Five. He's, like he's, five. he's a big boy. Huge dude. And he blows bubbles when he sleeps. Yeah. So John is snoring and he's overlap his snores are overlapping with your dream and you think ah. you're having intermittent nightmares. Yes. <laughs> it's one okay. of those trips. And I'm like, what did I get myself into? Right. You know? What what is this? What what am I chasing? Right. And the next day we get up. We eat some food. We're all tired, you know. Were and you I guys did, dry? Did you stay relatively dry? Me and Phil did, and and John did rel- somewhat dry. All right. Because he was right up next to me, uh, and when it stopped raining, I told him, I was like, maybe you should tie up to another tree because you're, like, too close, <laughs> like at 3 in the morning. <laughs> so none of us had slept or anything like that, and I'm like, I'm going to get some more fishing in because there was only one night. You know, okay. we'd never done anything like this before. We didn't know what to expect, so one night. So next morning, I decided to go up and go fishing. And so um, I get get my waders and stuff on. I look to the right of this cardiac hill, and there's a trail. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. what? If I just sort of paid a little more attention <laughs> to cardiac hill, I would have survived. Sweet. So, you know, and one of the questions that you asked, Drew, in, in, in doing my homework for, for your podcast, which I really appreciate that. I um, appreciate you sending me that. Uh, what did I learn, you know, from this adventure? Yeah, man, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad uh, that you participated in that way. Um, I certainly try and make sure that my guests are are prepped in a way where they know that um, we're going to go into some stuff that requires a, a fair degree of thinking. So I kind of like to grease the skids, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm stoked to hear what uh, what the takeaway was. Uh, you know, it was a miserable trip. I mean, if you take a look at all of that happened, it's raining, John snoring in my ear. I almost died on cardiac hill. You know, like I tell Phil, just leave me, just go to camp. I don't know how long this is gonna take. Okay, so just leave me because I'm just like humiliated. So the next day, um, Phil and I are driving back. John drove separately, so he's driving. Back. And I thought, I have never in my life felt so alive. And this was a miserable trip. When you reflect back, taking into consideration the words that you just used, it was miserable, but I've never felt more alive. Throw, throw a couple words at me. It's something spiritual. It's who we were created to be. You know... It's something um, on our podcast, we uh, interviewed a gal uh, by the name of Katie Webster, and um, she's just a phenomenal uh, editor and, and video producer for, for some outdoor companies, and she came on our podcast, and she, uh, she actually has, I think she's a doctor in natural, natural medicine, and she kind of went the way of the wild like I have. You know, you're in corporate America, she's just like, no, I got to do this, you know. So she was telling me, you know, uh, going barefoot outside resets your your um, your rhythm of your of your body. I've heard that. Yeah. What have you heard on that? Uh, 
I interviewed a guy named A.D. Um, Rosa, mm-hmm. who uh, who is um, he's a triathlete. He's done a handful of Ironmans, and he spent a, a good chunk of his life training. Um, and up until a couple of years ago, he had never done um, any significant, uh, you know, hikes or, or backpacking trips or anything of that nature until he met this gal who uh, who had him up on a 14er in Colorado a couple of years ago. And he said he took his his shoes off and he felt like he felt this energy that uh, would suggest all creation was singing with him like he was part of it. He felt this very ethereal connection to nature that he wouldn't have, you know, save for the, the barefoot, the straight up contact with with the dirt. But hmm. it's funny how, you know, an eighth inch of rubber or EVA foam can keep you from feeling that but i've yeah i've heard it so it's interesting to hear that her name's Merrick. katie webster oh cared uh, katie, katie katie webster yeah it was a good episode hearing some of the science behind it um there's something there's something to it and you can't it's you know i talk uh it's almost like my kids really into star wars you know they're mm-hmm. kid they're boys yeah um uh, it's almost like the force Mm. There's something to it. There's something you can't, you can't really name it. But when you come out of there, you're just rejuvenated. Mm. Even if you don't sleep much, um, even if you don't catch any fish, which happens a lot, because a lot of these guys, they're not avid anglers. You know, we try to get them on fish, but it doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's interesting. It's interesting to see there because they they forget about it. They're busy with their lives. They're busy. Doing it's, their thing. Yeah, they gotta they gotta go right back into uh, right back into turbo mode. You know, as soon as they they jump back in, they're they're moving again. So yeah. But when you say when you say spiritual, I mean, you think uh, you think that that pretty much summarizes what you you had experienced that first time up by Cardiac Hill. Every time I go outdoors. Every time. It's the reason that when I went to see my psychologist and I started fly fishing, it's the reason I got better. It's the reason I coped with it. Oh, that's awesome. It's the reason that, um, that it, that's the reason why I'm, it makes me a better human being. Dude, that's awesome. Even though it was miserable. Um, and my goal is to set out to introduce as many people as I can to the art of fly fishing and it doesn't have to be fly fishing. I'm being a musician. I think it's the rhythm of their cast or something. Mm. Um, but it's a spiritual pursuit to me. Um, yeah, it makes me a better person. Makes me a better human being. And we just forget about it. We, we just forget about it. That's awesome, man. So I think that ties into a little bit of of why you and I got together in the first place. Because adventure deficit calls calls that something we. We completely identify with that. We call that taking our medicine. Oh wow! Right? Yeah. And and that's a spoof on the whole adventure deficit being close hand in hand with something that's completely prevalent in twentieth twenty first century, you know, Western culture, which is we throw drugs at at this problem, mm-hmm. right? And that's not to say. I mean, for heaven's sake, I have ad, I have adventure deficit, but I have ADD as well, and I'm medicated for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's a handful of people who go, um, 
you know, on either side as far as like, you know, the, the medicine free camp or, you know, medical treatment, uh, you know, handle this with, uh, with a script type of, of, um, mindset. And there's people who, who use both. Right. But, mm -hmm. uh, the adventure deficit piece, um, definitely utilizes that, that outdoor solace as a, as a restorative function of wellness, which is basically, Hey, get out there and take your medicine, whatever it is. If it's fishing, mm -hmm. if it's hiking, if it's surfing, you're waiting for a set, you know, you smell that salt. You feel that sunrise, you watch a dolphin come swim next to you. There's something cool that's way beyond surfing that's going on, right? Yeah. Or you, you catch a couple lines on virgin powder on an, on an aspect of a mountain that hasn't been touched before, mm -hmm. and you're connected. You're, you're done. You, can, you don't have words for it. It just feels right. Feels right, yeah. It feels right. And I think there's something absolutely true about what you're saying. I, and I, I'm an angler as well, man. I love that feeling when everything's, it's just right. You're standing yeah. in that creek or in that, you know, like, whatever. If it's a, I mean, if you're on a boat and, you, and you're kind of taking your medicine, it might just be the quiet or the crickets or, you know, the bullfrogs <clears throat> or the stars that are coming out. And if you're, if you're a river fisherman, it might be that cool water, you know, mm -hmm. just kind of rippling, rippling through your legs <laughs> and making a little back eddy next to your knee. Right. And you can touch that cool water and you can put it on the back of your neck and you can, you can literally hear fish feeding themselves yeah. on insects that are trickling off of a branch nearby. It's, uh, I mean, you hear the sounds of the woods come alive. There's just, there's this harmonious peace that takes place. That changes you it does it does change you you know on our last trip on uh, last fall uh, my buddy wild bill he uh he he he's a good planner wild bill is um he has everything together you know what i mean like he he's gonna have the toilet paper <laughs> you know what i mean he's just one of those guys yeah and uh, he's these, like these brats, these cheddar brats are awesome. If only we had, and Wild Bill pulls out whatever that is, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. Okay. It's Wild Bill. And, and uh, so the and last fall, Wild Bill came on a trip with us, and um, and he he decided where we we're gonna we we're gonna camp, you know. And he picked out the best spot, of course. You know, he did all this planning, and he's just cool like that. So we were on this little like on the uh, Manistee River, um right there on this little, like, almost like a peninsula, right? And growing up in Houston, there's not um, a lot of stars. There's not, you know, you don't see stuff like that. It's a lot just of light a, pollution. Light pollution. Very, yeah. You know, it's very foreign. So I remember in the middle of the night, I had to go to the bathroom, you know, so I get out of my hammock and I walk over to, barefooted, uh, and it's cold, but I was like, I just want to feel this, you know? So I go out there to the side of the stream, doing my business, you know, and I look up, true, and I see the Milky Way. I will never forget that moment. I didn't want to go back to sleep. It's like, can I just make a pallet on the grass? And just like, because I've never seen that before. I had never seen the Milky Way. No light pollution. I mean, there was a little bit, but up there, there's not much light pollution. And seeing that, dude, it's like, wow. 
for sure. It's awesome. That's but, cool, man. Yeah, but I, lo- I love what you're doing with the Adventure Deficit Podcast. I'm very, very excited about that because that's exactly, you know, take your medicine. Yeah, man. Combat the deficit. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's why we have um, such an outbreak of ADD or kids um, having a hard time? You think it's because... It's a good question, man. Um, I think it's a function of, of environment partially. And I also think, uh, I think there's absolutely a genetic piece to that. Um, and, and just a chemical makeup piece to that. Um, I choose to continue to be medicated because I, I know that, um, to choose not to at this point, I'm 34 years old. If I chose not to be medicated moving forward, um, it would require some life changes that would be so monumental, um, that I might have to, I mean, we're talking about not just, not just move out of the house, find a new career path, find a new, I mean, I would probably a drive my wife crazy to the point where, mm-hmm. where she would go, I'm not so sure that I'm not so sure that this works. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to put, uh, my wife is a saint and she would, she would hold with me through anything so I so I feel and and that's a lot to ask of her right basically where we're going with this is um I think that if I were to have a doctor um recommend a diagnosis for one of my kids um I'd probably be more prone to to explore doing uh doing a drug-free approach Mm -hmm. um and then let them choose their life path according to their their innate characteristics. Um, when I look back, I, I have no blame to place on anybody, but it's just my folks were were under the impression that, hey, if you want your kid to do well in school and you want them to succeed and you want them to flourish, then you're going to need them to take this little white pill um, and success and flourishing and, and that mindset had to do with you know academic success college you know achievement and uh professional career um being the being the outcome of that um and i'm not wired like that i'm just i'm much more creative i'm much more empathetic i'm much more of a feeler um than than you know the counterparts that uh, that I did school with that that I took pills to to get through so to speak yeah hmm. kind of a, kind of a, I mean it sounds almost tragic and I'm not a I'm not a you know tragedy by any means I just think there's probably a different way to do it your parents did I'm sure they did the best that they thought they they did what they thought they were supposed to do that's a great way to say it yeah yep they did what they could with what they had the information the you know at the time, that's what doctors were saying. Hey, yes, this is what they need. And dude, there's some statistics that that I would fall back on to heavily consider going the medical route as well. That would suggest an unmedicated, you know, gentleman or gal on uh, with with ADD is dangerous. Yeah. Um, not just, and I'm, I don't want to make it sound like violent, dangerous, but just mm-hmm. there's. There's some s- serious stuff that can go with with being ADD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, if you if you 
get curious enough to just go Google, you know, suicide rates or, or divorce rates or fatal car crash type stuff. Um, a lot of a lot of indicators would suggest that it's smart to at least figure out how to medicate yourself via drugs or activity or diet or be yeah I'm using too many words it's just yeah take your medicine means get outside experience what it is that Jeff was talking about which is experience you know the the creative side of this this world step out of the matrix that is the corporate you know cog leave it for 10 minutes go on a mini adventure if it's just one night in the manistee forest mm-hmm. and you get 30 seconds of of the milky way while you're taking a whiz into the river and it changes you it sticks with you forever i'll never forget it yeah why would you why wouldn't you try that yeah right so yeah Good dialogue for sure. I'm. I mean, I'm glad that uh, I've got a guest who's kind of tossing some questions back because oftentimes I'm the interviewer and and it's hard to talk about myself. It is like yeah, for sure. <laughs> when you're the interviewer you're, all the time, yeah, you know? you're doing a tremendous job. So yeah, what is, now I know how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird, but as far as like um, your personality, have you ever taken like a Meyer Briggs test or anything like that at all? Oh yeah, dude. Um, en TP. Okay. Should yeah. have been a lawyer. Um, and on the DS, DISC mm-hmm. model, um, I'm a, I'm a 50-50 split between a D and an I. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So okay. a heavy amount of influence, heavy amount of drive. Okay. But then I've also taken, I've had mixed reviews on things like the Enneagram. Have you ever done that one? No, that's one I haven't tried. Okay, they base your personality. I, I think it's, I might have this wrong, but I want to say they base your personality on nine different profiles. Okay. Um, a seven is generally kind of the, the life of the party. Mm-hmm. Um, a seven is a uh, high-level communicator, emotionally intelligent, um, High on uh, high on what the DISC model would call an I. Mm-hmm. And a three is very much uh, like professional conduct to the point where um, they would they would be considered very calculated, um, very results driven. And I'm a tie between a. I've had one doctor tell me that I'm a not or I'm a seven, and I've had another tell me that I'm a three, hmm. and those seem to be kind of incongruent. Depends on what you had for lunch before the test. There you go. Maybe it's I, it's very weird like that. Maybe I yeah maybe I didn't fish enough beforehand. I didn't take your medicine. I didn't take my medicine. So um, cool. Well, I think uh, yeah I think this has been a fun conversation and um, just kind of reiterating what it is that we just went over it's i think uh, yeah there's a there's absolutely a a medicinal side of getting out there and and doing your thing that um leaves an, an impression on you that has you thirsty for more yeah so some rapid fire questions and then we can get you out of here uh Jeff, tell us where your favorite 
waters are. Do you prefer to fish trout streams in northern Michigan? Or if somebody said, hey, we're going fishing, and it was an ideal uh, it was an ideal invite, what would that look like? Um, Muskegon River. Okay. For browns or rainbows? Either. Just trout. Yeah. You're a trout junkie. Steelhead, trout, or smallmouth on the, on the flat. I love smallmouth. Oh, that's a cool... Uh, you know what? I haven't been into catching them on top with uh with fly rods mm-hmm. but i've seen folks doing it and it looks like it looks like a blast very aggressive yeah yeah do you you just strip until you see something follow it yeah yep i'll cast uh depends on the hash but if i go there like early in the afternoon i'll use like a olive green woolly bugger which is under the water you yep. know kind of looks like a crayfish uh, olive green works awesome up there. And then uh, right before the sun sets, there's usually a hatch that goes on, and I'll use like an Adams fly or parachute Adams or something. And you catch smallies on that? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. They're so aggressive. Oh, dude, They're I didn't so know aggressive. they fed on insects like oh, that. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. And on the flat, you could almost sight fish them because you see them just sitting in big pools. And I'll stand on a big rock and fish to them. No waders, you know, in the summertime, just, just wet, wet wade. Oh, it's amazing. There's something cool about that. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, music. When you're not making your own music, what kind of music are you listening to? Yeah, I was I was wondering if you were going to ask me this question on the way over because I know it's kind of weird because I was, I was really jamming. Really? Um, yeah, I was jamming the song out. I can't get out of my head. Uh, Sergio Simpson. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know him. He, he has some songs out that uh, I've been just really jamming his record, a lot, all of his records. Sergio? Sturgill. Sturgill. Sturgill Simpson. Yeah. S-T-U-G. R-G-I-L? Yeah, let me make sure that's right. I think, yeah. Sturgill Simpson, or Sturgill Simpson. I think it's Sturgill Simpson, But it's S-T-U-R-G-I-L. Yeah, he's got the song, Keep Between the Lines. Holy cow, the B3, the ham, and the horns. He's a country guy, but the horn. oh, man, just a great, just a great artist. Uh, Yeah. What genre would you describe your music? It's a great question. Probably more folky slash um bluegrass that's the vibe i got yeah when i said bouncing down a dirt road on uh-huh. the way to a trout hole that's that's perfect man. right yeah we we had some great musicians play on on my album not on every song but um uh, we had some great great local grand rapids musicians play uh ethan niemeyer played uh, violin he's a phenomenal fiddle player uh, Mark Lavengood, who's a dobro player here in town, he he played on. He's fantastic, and he's an awesome human being. Um, and we had some great great musicians on that. That's um, cool. But that's that's my first album. I've got other albums in my mind, but you need money to make the albums that you want. So I got some other stuff in my head. I got some other stuff coming out, and I'm really excited about. Oh, yeah. cool! You want to yeah. share uh, any sneak peeks, or do you have any hints that you can drop? Um, no, I mean. Um, I got a friend of mine who has an instrumental band that does really, really well. Um, and you know, it's something about that without words, you know, yep. so I got some ideas floating in my head sure. for that. To produce you you stuff. can hear it. You already hear it. I already hear everything. I love it. Love it. I'm, cool. I'm excited. Yeah. And it sounds good. Oh yeah. But I can't wait. <laughs> um, you reading any books? I'm always reading books. What do you got going? Uh, I read a lot of Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, Tipping Point was the one I just finished. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Trouble with Geniuses, right? I don't know if he did that one or not. He's freak- Freakonomics? 
No. Oh, that's no, that's the duel. Mel- Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, he did do. Yeah, uh, David and Goliath. Yeah, uh, he did. Uh, yeah, so that was a good one. It was he okay. did Trouble with Geniuses. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's got a cool podcast too. Yeah. It's funny because he he had um we had one of the same guests on our podcast. Oh really? Yeah, NBA player. I can't remember the guy's name. I'm not a I'm not a basketball fan. What's the guy's name? Anyways. Well, we had one of the same guests, and I heard him. So this this guy, Barry, what was his name? Something Gary. But anyways, he shot Granny style in the NBA. Rice? No, Rick Barry was his name. Okay. Oh, Rick he was Barry. big in, like, oh. late 70s. Well, I think he was full train with all those guys. And he ha- yeah, and he has, like, the highest free, th- free throw. Oh, yeah, he's, like, 92%. Yeah, Super anal. Yeah. Super anal. Everything's anal right now. So Malcolm Gladwell, this is a funny story. I'll tell you real quick. Yeah. So so Malcolm Gladwell has him on his podcast. I'm like, man, this guy sounds like a freak because he's so. Oh shoot. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. I'm like thinking. What I'm, was that? It was Sergio Simpson. <laughs> I actually hit play. So anyways. Okay. So I'm thinking, listening to this podcast, I'm like, man, this guy is crazy. Like, he doesn't care what you think. I'm gonna shoot Granny style because I'm here to do a job. I'm going to do it the best I can. I don't care what I look like or, you know, they can't make fun of you if you got a 92% success rate. So during the, the March Madness, I'm watching University of Houston. I'm a Houston fan, obviously. And, um, and University of Michigan playing in March Madness. And if they were just, you know, University of Houston should have won that game if they just would have made a couple more free throws. I'm walking out of, of the apartment with my, my brother-in-law's an apartment, and we're walking out, and I was like, you know what? Rick Barry would have made those shots. If Rick Barry was on the team, two days later, I get a call from his agent. Come on. Not lying. Hey, Jeff, I'm an agent for Rick Barry. I'm like, this is a joke. You know, I'm paranoid that, that Siri's listening to me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm paranoid that this thing's reading my mind. Right. You know? You've got a tinfoil hat at home. I do. All right. And I'm not really. But I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I, and when I got a call from his agent saying that, hey, um, you know, Rick Barry is a very avid fly fisherman. Um, he's got this new website out, and he wants to. He would like to come on your show because I heard you're like the fly fishing show. And I was like, I'm thinking. I go, okay. And my first thought is, this Joke. this is crazy. Jokes over. Like, who who are you? Really? Like, are you gonna kidnap my children? Right. Like, you know, you go. To, I'm I'm really freaking out because I don't know this guy. I'd never heard of him until two weeks ago when I heard him on Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Isn't that so crazy? That, that, I mean, that wasn't you reaching out to him first? No, no, no. His agent reached out to me. That's incredible. Yeah, we, we get that a lot now. We're at the point where we get people reaching out to us, which is a lot easier. That's cool. Than trying to like I reach reached out, out to, to you. Yeah. yeah. It's not like you found me. Uh, I still reach out to people. Yeah. But it's it's a lot funner when they're coming to you. <laughs> so I interviewed him. That was that was pretty crazy. Oh, that's cool. But, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. And in, in, in the audio is horrible on that episode because we just moved. And and uh, but we we had um, our editor did pretty well for our. We have a guy who edits our podcast, so he did pretty well on it. Um, but us saying, oh, okay, yeah, so I, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, he's a he's a great artist, uh, are a great writer. I read I read uh, the subtle art of not giving an f. You know, uh, that was a, a book I just uh, finished up. Well, I finished up probably like six months ago. Um, so I'm always reading, always read. I love to read. Cool. Yeah. How about you? What are you reading? Um, I just got done with, um, uh, I did one by a kid 
who wrote a book called Madre de Dios, uh, Mother of God. It's a uh-huh. river in, in Bolivia. Uh, and it's this kid who grew up kind of in this Bronx setting, um, real urban environment, and was um, was always told that he was, you know, hyperactive and, you know, that basically kind of getting into some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier with, with attention deficit and some of the widespread, you know, um, diagnosis of that. And he kind of fell within, within that and, uh, ended up basically falling in love with, um, the Amazon, um, through some, some brief exposure that he had there, uh, and then spent three, three or four years basically fully immersed in that culture, diving in as deep as he possibly could. <laughs> Had a pet anteater. Wow. Was, uh, was basically, bearing, he, he bore witness to a jaguar poaching that uh, crushed him in a way that like really, he, he felt like that jaguar was kind of, you know, an integral part of his life story. Mm. Um, talked about... Um, just some of the deforestation that's going on in the Amazon. And, uh, it was his first book. I found it in the dollar store and I read Hmm. the front cover and I thought, huh, um, I can't remember the kid's name, but pretty effective writer for his first book. I was was pretty wowed by it. So that was one. Um, I had, uh, I had about six books going at once last year. Uh, and the one that got me through, kind of the uh the scramble was for whom the bell tolls i had never done a hemingway cover to cover and the dude just captivates you (laughs) sun also rises is my favorite Hemingway. it's cool read it every summer and there's just something that's really cool and authentic about reading you know from from just one of the great novelists from kind of uh kind of a time in american culture where where there's some really good writing out there. Oh, Steinbeck, too. Yeah. You know, Steinbeck, East of Eden. East of Eden. Because my mom, she was kind of messed up, so I really related to that book. Cool. So that's an, one of those books that... And uh, speaking of empathy, of mice and men, if you want to talk about a book that'll get you in, into somebody else's shoes. Yeah. It's I mean, amazing. How do you feel bad for a guy like Lenny until you know that he's a gentle giant? Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. So, yeah. Um, and then I do a handful of, um, you know, I'll, I'll read stuff that are like group Bible studies or any of the stuff going on with men's groups. I'm, I'm involved with a handful of that kind of stuff. So that is, uh, that's a wrap, man. I really appreciate you spending some time with the adventure deficit community. If you are at all interested in picking up some of Jeff's, uh, content over the airwaves, um, Jeff, how can we find you on your podcast? Are you on iTunes or iTunes, Spotify, pretty much everywhere. A remote No Pressure Fly Fishing Podcast, uh, RemoteNoPressure.com. Join our mailing list. Um, follow us on, on Facebook, Instagram, um, and we'd love for you to be part of our community. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Uh, we will look forward to uh, to reconnecting with you, hopefully, after you've spent some time down in the Bahamas. I want to hear about what you catch, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Awesome. See you.